Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. We are going to be looking at a few verses from Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Isaiah. Um, Like talked about a couple weeks ago, if you don't know where Isaiah is, if you just kind of take your Bible and let it fall open to the middle... Um, you'll probably come really close to Isaiah, if not right in Isaiah's. Isaiah kind of sits right in the middle of the Bible. So if you kind of just look for the center. Now, most of you probably just need to go to Bible app and open it and scroll down. But if you have a paper Bible, that's, that's the fastest way to get there. Um, this week, we are continuing our look at the first person of the Trinity as we look to understand more about God the Father. And last week, we began this shift where we began moving away from sort of asking, what is God? And we started to ask more, who is God? And we, 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 last week, we sort of straddled that question with sort of a what and a who as we look to understand that God is love. And this week, we're going to try and do that same sort of thing again as, as we look to sort of understand a, a core attribute of who God is that everything else comes from. So it kind of answers who, but it also kind of answers what. And it's such an important thing for us to do, to try and understand more about who God really is. Because when the lights come on in our lives, when when the lights come on in our soul, and we begin to understand who God the Father really is, it can change so much for us about how we see and understand God. And because of that, then how we see and understand ourselves. And some of the biggest issues in our lives, some of the, some of the biggest roadblocks in our lives, some of the, the relational issues and conflicts that we can have, some of the self-doubt that, that we can have, so many of these things can come from a warped view or a warped understanding of who God is. That when we don't understand properly who God is, it's hard for me to understand fully and properly who I am. Because if I don't understand the one who created me, if I don't understand how he sees me, it's hard for me to see me the way that I'm supposed to be seen. And so as we begin to understand God, so many things in our lives can begin to fall like dominoes. And so as we look at who God is, this week I want to take on, for, for, what, for us, what in some ways is probably the most difficult part of who God is for us to understand because we can understand this concept, we can express it in a way that we can understand, the theory of it we can get, but we can't identify with this. This isn't something that you and I get to live from. This isn't something that you and I get to look at our own lives and go, oh, okay, I see God like that. I understand that because this is me, and God is just better at that than me. We can understand what this idea is in an idea, but we don't get to understand it by experience. 
And Isaiah chapter 6 gives us one of the most clear pictures of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, in the context of, of the book of Isaiah, what we're reading here is we're reading really Isaiah's call to become God's prophet. That God is calling him to become the prophet of God, the one who would speak for God. And he's given this vision. He's given a vision of God, that, that he's given this incredible picture of God and, and of God sitting on his throne with what is called a seraphim on either side. Now, a seraphim is a word that's used to describe Bible or angels in the Bible. Um, there's more to it than that, but that's not what we're talking about this morning, so we're not going to rabbit trail into that too much. Um, but so for our, our context today, just understand it as angels. And for another little uh, bit of context for this, if you go to John chapter 12, we, we can discover that actually when, when we see that, that Isaiah sees the Lord sitting on the throne, in John chapter 12, John tells us that it's actually Jesus that Isaiah is seeing seated on the throne. Again, we're not going to rabbit trail down there, but something interesting for you to know. And so as we read in this in verse chapter 3, as, as Isaiah sees this picture of the Lord on his throne, there's two angels on either side. And so when, it, when we read in verse 3, it'll say, and they, that's the angels that he's talking about, were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Today we're going we're gonna to talk about this concept and this understanding of what it means that God is holy. But I don't want to just cruise past this verse because there's something really important that we need to understand in the verse that we just read. See, it's really important that we notice, and, and I want to highlight, the repetitive emphasis that's given inside of this verse. It wasn't enough for the angels to simply say, God is holy. But the angels will repeat the word holy three times to capture the, to try and emphasize the depth and the breadth of God's holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. It's like if I was to say to you, we ordered pizza last night. And it was huge, huge, huge. If I was to express that, you might go to a big pizza. But if I say it's huge, 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 you think, well, maybe it's a little bigger of a pizza. But if I say it's huge, 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 you start to think it's got to be a pretty darn big pizza. Like, that it's huge, huge. That, that the idea that we're being presented with here is, is the, that it's not just repeated emphasis, but it's like growing in scale. That God's whole, God is holy, holy, holy. That it's growing, and as we understand it, it creates this bigger, bigger picture. And so the same way when we read, holy, 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 it's meant to stretch the boundaries of our imagination. Whatever you think of, when you hear that God is holy, 
We need to know that, that whatever we think of, whatever, when we say God is holy, 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 that what we think of as holy expand beyond that and beyond that and beyond that. Our translation for the word holiness comes from the Hebrew word kwadosh. And it has a couple of meanings that, that we need to see. Most people, when they talk about this, um, they'll only really talk about the first understanding of the word. The word and, and that's pretty accurate, but there is another underlying thing. And we're going to just take a moment to highlight both of them. Um, the first, the word just literally means to cut. It, it just means to, to, to be cut off or separate from everything else. And so when we talk about God being holy, on a basic level, I mean, God is separate. God, in a class of your own, distinct from anything that has ever existed or will exist. That, that when we say God is holy, the first understanding is that God is set apart. He's different. He's, he's unique. He's not the same as. And so that, that's the... That's the, the, the big, most 80% of the definition would be something along those lines. But you wouldn't use the word kwadosh to talk about, well, would you cut me a slice of pizza? Would you separate unto me a slice of pizza? Oh, I've got a string hanging from my, my shirt. Would you kwadosh it for me? Because it's not just, doesn't just mean to cut. It doesn't just mean to separate out. It doesn't just mean to have on its own it also has, has like a moral sense to it. That it's not just a, a utilitarian word. It, it's, it's, a, it, it's got a, a sense of set apart, but in a moral way. Uh, it means to be, to be entirely morally pure all the time and in every way possible. And so God's set apart, but he's not just set apart because he's, he's infinite or because he's immortal or because he, he's all-powerful, but he's also set apart because he's morally distinct from all of us, that he's not compromised by, by sin, that he's set apart in a way that, that we are not. And so when you put these two elements together, when you put them together, you're left with a picture of, of what does it mean that God is holy. It means that the Lord is the sum and the definition of what it means to be holy. He, he occupies a moral space that no one has ever occupied before. And this is why I said that, that like we can understand the concept of holiness, that I can, when we're going to talk about what does it mean that God is holy and what does it mean, but you and I, we don't get to, to experientially know holiness. That, that we don't get to, oh, I know what that's like. We, we don't. We don't know his set apart. But God's holiness does mean some things for us. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But we can read in, in scriptures like uh, Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, which will say, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Or 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2, that will say, There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. God's holiness is at the core of, of who he is. 
That, that the fact that he's holy is, is at the core of what he does. If you were to ask, how is the holiness of God revealed? How, how do we see it? How do we understand it? The only right answer to that question is in everything he does. Everything that God's, God thinks, wants, speaks, and does is utterly holy in every way. Just like how we talked about all of God's action, everything that God is that we talked about last week comes from the fact that he is love. His love is always holy. He's holy in his justice. He's holy in his mercy. He's holy in his power. He's holy in his sovereignty. He's holy in his wisdom. He's holy in his patience. He's holy in his anger. He's holy in his grace. He's holy in his faithfulness. And he is holy in his compassion. And in fact, God's holiness, the holiness of God, sits at the center of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without the holiness of God, there would be no moral law to which every human being is responsible. Without the holiness of God, there would be no divine anger with sin. Without the holiness of God, there would be no perfect son as an acceptable sacrifice for sin. Without the holiness of God, there would have been no vindication in the resurrection. Without the holiness of God, there would be no final defeat of Satan. And without the holiness of God, there would be no hope of a new heaven and earth where holiness will reign and rule over us forever. Without the holiness of God, we don't have the plan of God. The biblical story would not be the biblical story if it was not written and controlled at every point by one who is holy all the time and in every way. We can't understand God's holiness. We can know what it means for God to be holy. We, we can understand, God is holy in a way that I can't understand. We can understand that we can't understand. But God is holy and just and righteous in a way that doesn't get reflected in your, our lives. But the holiness of God means a lot for our lives. It means a lot for your life. Because we serve a God who is holy, it means a lot for you. And so I want to just take the last little bit of our, our time together. A little bit. I'm like halfway through my sermon. Maybe a little more than half. But I want to give you four ways that God's holiness shapes your life. Four ways that the, the holiness of God will shape your life. That because of God's holiness, these are things that are true for us. Firstly, God's holiness shows us our hope. The testimony of people since about Genesis chapter 3 and ever since 
has been that the world seemingly is out of control. That, that there's so much evil where wrong seems to be rewarded and, and right often seems to be punished. We read that over and over again in the Psalms that they will say, God, are, are you sleeping? God, where are you? God, why do we continue to do right when it seems like only bad things happen and the wicked are rewarded? And it's in the face of this, as we look around at our, our time and where we live and, and the times in which we live now, and we go, what is wrong with this world? What is happening to the world around us? What is going on? It's so important that as we look at the world around us, that we cling to the holiness of God. In every situation, location, and relationship that you've been in, that you are in now, and that you will be in, each and every moment of our life and each and every situation is under the careful sovereignty of our God who is completely holy. Now, doesn't always look that way. It doesn't always seem that way. But that doesn't mean that God isn't in control. And, and that doesn't mean that God has lost control. What he does, because God is holy, what he does is always right. What he says is always true. And what he promises, he will always deliver. Even as lives and situations seem to spiral out of control, God is always holy. Now, for you and your life, you may have to preach this to yourself over and over again. That, that it's not simply enough for me to stand up here and tell you that and you go from here and go, oh, okay, got it, perfect. That won't be an issue anymore. The pastor said it, I believe it, we're good. But that... This is a message that we have to come back to ourselves over what do, and this is why I talked about in the beginning, when we understand who God is, it can shape so many things because as we walk through life and things are difficult, we can come back to holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and because God is holy, evil is not in control. Because God is holy, injustice does not rule. Because God is holy, corruption is not king. And because God is holy, Satan will not have victory. God is and always will be worthy of your trust for one reason. He is holy. And so if our heart's desire is that we want what's right, we place it in the one who is always right. Now, if your heart's desire is that I want what I want, that can lead to disappointment. Because what's holy and right isn't always what I want. I'd like to think that it is, but it's not. Second thing that 
holiness does for us is holiness provides, or it's supposed to say, I changed the wording, so it's supposed to say holiness shows us ourselves. Sorry. To see what this means, we need to go back to Isaiah chapter 6. Um, we haven't left there yet. If you've still got your Bible open, that's great. If not, um, you can turn back there. But this time we're going to look at verse 5. And Isaiah is given this picture of, of God on the throne and the angels declaring his holiness. And, and he's given this picture of God's holiness. And Isaiah doesn't have like this, whoa, this is so cool kind of response to what he's seeing. He doesn't look at this picture and go like, oh, wow, this is really neat. This is awesome. Wow. He's blown away. But he's blown away into brokenness. Isaiah's given this picture of God and his holiness, and his response is found in verse 5, which I don't have up there. It's supposed to say, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah is given a picture of God's holiness. And what God's holiness immediately shows him is, I am not like that. Uh, I, I don't know all that that is, but what I do know is that I am not that. He immediately recognizes how distinct and how separate God is from him. That he's given this picture of the holiness of God, and he's, whoa. I now recognize what's going on in my life. See, we often have one big problem in our lives. Most of us can recognize the sin in our lives and we say, yeah, I, I see that, I know, I know I do that, I shouldn't do that, you know, I say those words and I shouldn't say those words, I, I look at that and I shouldn't look at that or I do that and I know I shouldn't do that. But one of the things that happens to us when we're confronted by the holiness of God and one of the issues that can lie deep within us is that our sin doesn't always look like sin to us. That sometimes, we, we know it, we see, but there are some things in our lives that we've been able to justify into existence. That, that I look and I go, I know the things that I do that are wrong, but there's a handful of things that I do that are probably wrong that I've convinced myself are right and so it's no longer sin, so I don't think about it in those contexts. Often, our sin can be attractive and magnetic. Our sin doesn't always break our hearts the way that it should. In fact, a lot of our times, our hearts and our desires are what lead us into sin. That, that we will look and, and we will go, well, my, uh, my heart tells me this is okay. My heart tells me this is a great idea. And yet scripture will say that the heart is deceitful above all things. But we convince it, well, if it's not, if I don't feel bad, maybe it's okay. But when we're standing in the face of God's holiness, we can realize that, that sin is more than just a list of bad behaviors. 
and, and more than breaking of a set of rules. But sin is a, a disastrous condition of the heart that causes us to willingly and repeatedly rebel against the authority of God and to do what we were never intended to do. The holiness of God is like a mirror to our lives that doesn't just reflect how we see ourselves. But the holiness of God serves as like a mirror that reflects what's really true about us. The holiness of God shows us that, that we cannot escape the sin in ourselves, that we need a Savior who can do what we can't do. Rescue us from sin. We cannot simply allow ourselves to, to try and understand the under holiness of God without also mourning our sin and crying out for the grace of Jesus. As we understand the holiness of God, it shows us that in fact he is different. Next, God's holiness shows us our potential. Because holiness is at, at the essence of God's character, and because we are made in his image, holiness becomes a calling for us as his children. In the book of 1 Peter, it will say this. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Here, here's the best way to understand it. Through Jesus, we are made holy. And because we've been made holy, we have been called to be holy. That we are, we are made holy through Jesus... But because we've been made holy, we are now expected to be holy. We are now called to be holy. Because we've been made this way, we are now expected to live this way. We have been called to holy living. This means that we live in between the already of our coming to Jesus and the not yet of our entrance into eternity with him. That means that obedience matters. Holiness matters. Every thought, every desire, every word, every choice, and every action must be done in a spirit of surrender to being who God has called you to be, doing what God has called you to do, and living how God has called us to live. Now, that's impossible. We have been called to holy living. And we've talked about you and I. We cannot experience holiness the way God has. So we are asked to live and to be holy. But if we try to live and be holy, we will fail. And so as we look at the impossibility of this, we also need to take a moment to remind ourselves of the truth that God never calls you to a task without enabling you to do it. 
God never call or God calls us to be holy, then sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of us so that we could have the wisdom and the strength that we need to surrender to his holy call in all that we do. But holiness isn't fully attainable for you and I. And so what does the last thing that we're going to talk about this morning, the last understanding of holiness in our lives, what, what, what does holiness show us, show us? If I could click. It's not working. Uh, holiness, God's holiness shows us true grace. Remember, Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live with a people of unclean lips. And as Isaiah says this, the angels don't just look at, at Isaiah and go, you know, you're right. I didn't realize that. Next, we need somebody else. We need somebody better. Oh, oh, you're not, oh, I thought you were, I'm really sorry. I thought you were, um, sorry to have wasted your time. Um, we'll validate your parking on the way out, um, but we're gonna have to get somebody else in here to finish, or to, to fill this position. But instead, we see what happens next in Isaiah chapter six. Uh, and in verse 6, it will say, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, it, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. In the face of Isaiah's shortcomings, and in the face of sudden and deep realization of his unholiness, that as he's presented with the holiness of God, he says, whoa, I am undone. I have nothing to offer. I am a man of unclean lips. And as he stands there and he says to the angels, I can't, I'm not the right, I am not the right person. Instead of rejecting him and instead of pushing him away and instead of saying, you know, you're right, you're not holy, He's not pushed away from God. But instead, the angel comes and takes a piece of coal and touches his lips with it and tells him he's now cleansed. And Isaiah is told that God has made an allowance, a way for Isaiah in his unholy state, for him to be in the presence of a holy God and to be used by him. He tells him, your sin, your guilt has been taken away and your sin has been atoned for. That, that means that for us, the sin in our lives, it's been covered over. It's a picture of what Jesus was going to do in his atonement, in his death on the cross. The holiness of God destroys our individualism and our self-sufficiency. And instead shows us our need for our Savior who alone is able to do what we cannot do to unite an unholy people and a holy God by his life and death. God reveals his holiness to us, not as a warning that, that we should run from him, not that we need to be afraid of him, not that, that his holiness shows that we need to not 
pursue God, but instead it shows us that we are welcome to run to him, where we as weak, failing sinners find grace that lasts forever. We know that our Lord is holy, but because of his grace, we're accepted and not rejected by him. Because of his grace, we're comforted by his holy rule. Because of his grace, we become aware of the gravity of the sin that affects all of us. Because of his grace, we run to God for help and not away from him in fear. Because of his grace, God appointed his perfect son to be the perfect sacrifice for a deeply imperfect people. Because of his grace operating within us, we experience both the conviction of sin and the desire to live holy lives. And because of his grace, we have been invited to live in God's holy presence forever and ever. Let's pray together. Lord God, we come before you today recognizing and understanding that you are holy you are separate. You are not like us. And God, I thank you that your holiness hasn't led you to reject us. I thank you that your holiness has not led you to push us away, that your holiness has not led you to give up on us as we live our unholy lives. But God, I thank you that your holiness shows us our need for your grace. And God, I thank you that your grace is unending. Your grace never gives up on us and your grace will chase us down wherever we are. As we will read in the Psalms, where can we go from the presence of God, from the highest of heights to the lowest of lows, that you will find us there. And God, I thank you that the testimony for every single one of us, wherever we find ourselves right now in our lives, is that your grace can be found in that spot. God, I thank you that we don't need to move from where we are to find your grace. But God, in every life represented here right now, in every life watching online, in every life listening, God, in every single life where we are now, your grace can be found. And so God, I pray that as we come to understand that we are undone in the face of your holiness, God, I thank you that we also come to understand that we are put back together by your grace. And at your touch, we are made holy, we are made righteous, we are made pure. And so God, I pray now for each one here who may struggle with that notion, that may struggle with the idea that I am accepted by God, I am acceptable to God, I am, I am righteous, I, that I haven't disqualified myself. God, I pray that for each one gathered here today who may struggle with that in their heart and in their life, God, that you would touch them now even in this moment, you would show them now even in this moment that you have made them clean and that you have made us acceptable. God, I thank you that your holiness didn't drive you away from us, but your holiness brought you to the cross. And God, I thank you that through the cross of Jesus Christ, we have been invited 
back into your presence. God, help us to live each day from your presence. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. God is on the throne. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family. And that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the Our Church drop down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go.